I'm Stefan Bauman, and thank you once again for joining me on One of Mine podcast. Today, I speak with one of my students about composition and using eye magnets. Eye magnets have been around for us ever since the Renaissance, and they still haunt us today. What is an eye magnet? Why do we need it? What is so important about how to position eye magnets in your painting and why do we do it? Anyways, so sit back, relax, listen to my conversation as I give advice to one of my students on how to use eye magnets in their composition. Okay, so let's just kind of talk about what eye magnets are. So eye magnets are a way of keeping the viewer within the painting. And they were originally played with uh, in history, in art, during the Baroque era, where prior to the, the Baroque period, paintings were pretty much like storytelling. It was like there was, there was Jesus and there was Mary, and they'd have a composition that'd be like a triangle, you know, so it was all very staged and very much like an altar. The Baroque artists were like your modernism. They, they, they wanted to break out of the staged area and they wanted to create movement. And so eye magnets, and that's the term I use for it, is trying to create some kind of movement in the painting so it just doesn't sit there like the Mona Lisa does. It just sits there. And so they started actually creating movement. Now, when we're using the golden mean or the Fibonacci spiral and stuff, that's usually where you determine where your central focal point is. But your central focal point is, is usually an effect. And that's what I teach is the effect of light within the center third of the painting. It doesn't have to be the Fibonacci spiral at all. It can be just a place in the middle third that becomes your central focal point, the thing that you want the viewer to look at. And the way that I would do this at times, even when I would do demonstrations for art groups, I would say, okay, this is where my focal point is. And it could be just a highlight on a vase of flowers. And I would say, this is where I want my central focal point to be. It would be within the middle third, not at all following the golden mean. And then I would literally, in front of the group, just to kind of play with them a bit, I would start making spirals around that. So like, you know, in the 60s, uh, you'd go to some of the hippie shops and they'd have these huge posters that people would look at when they were stoned and you know, on LSD. And they would either be a bunch of triangles that were just not uh, diamonds, a bunch of diamonds connected together, or they'd have these spirals and you kind of look at them and it's kind of like that twilight zone where they, they, they kind of move. And I've, I've never done LSD, so I don't know how that looks. But I remember as a little kid, you know, being fascinated with these posters. And what happens is that once you lock into a poster like that, your, your eyes can't move. It just stays within. And so I thought about it and I said, well, why can't we do that with painting? So I would find the central focal point in my painting somewhere. And I literally would start doing these spirals out from there like a snail. And I would go um, counterclockwise. I don't know why counterclockwise feels right. I think it's because we go from left to right into a painting. And so we come into the, the, the painting from the left and then we want to spiral into it. 
uh, to the center focal point. And so uh, if I'm going counterclockwise spiraling out, um, I can have this lead in, this line that kind of leads us in. And then what I do is everything in that painting, I try to figure out how I can manipulate the object or the design or the, the things within that space to follow some of these lines. And when you have a spiral kind of drawn out already, you can kind of see if you've got a tree, you can kind of tip it inwards instead of outwards. Your sky could kind of follow uh, some of these lines. You could have uh, buildings and structures and uh, in a still life you can have edges of plates and cups and you kind of manipulate all this. Um, when you're setting up a still life from life, if you kind of have practiced this a bit, you can you can set this spiral up so that um, the viewer can see the um, you know the, the the effect, or or like you can see the effect while you're setting up. You can you can set this up so that you have all of the objects kind of lined up, and then when you're doing painting, you can alter everything even more so. But the whole idea is is trying to keep the viewer stopped in the painting where they're they can't move on um, a lot of artists make the mistake of having the edge of a table lead out and what you'd want to do if you're having a still life and you got a table and the edge of the table leads out you can break that that line leading the viewer out to another painting by having a piece of drapery that drapes over that corner that now the now the drapery will you point inwards again and the viewer is stopped by that that line will hit let's say stem of a rose that has fallen down and so the viewer is pulled in by that and then there might be the edge of a pot that the viewer is pulled to the other side of the painting and then there's a spoon sticking up that brings the viewer back into the painting and you start creating this really purposeful spiral in your painting so that the viewer is captivated by it. If you look at a lot of paintings done during the Baroque era, it's really obvious. They'll have figures that are bent so that the hands point down to the opposite side of the painting and that kind of captivates them and it eventually turned into the the um, the Baroque went into Rococo. Um, in Rococo they actually even just lifted everything up off the ground so that there was no weight and so you had cherubs that would fly uh, a lot of times just pointing the viewer someplace. You know, they would just kind of be bent and, and flown because they, they needed something to point the viewer back. So it isn't a real mathematical structure. It's a matter of trying to get the movement in the painting. A lot of artists do a little bit of it. I literally love manipulating the painting so that almost everything within the painting stays within the painting. And the great thing about being an artist is that you're a composer. You get to compose this like music. And in fact, there's a lot of uh, composers that do use kind of eye magnets within their, their music itself. So if you listen to Philip Glass, um, Philip Glass music, um, he's a composer contemporary. It's almost like a spinning 
vase that spins and spins you can never really get out of the sound it just continuously you know, works back to the original the original thing and I guess when you come back to the to a, a part of a song where it repeats itself that's kind of bringing the viewer back or the listener back the reality of this is what it is as artists we kind of lead them in it's like an armature that you build on and it provides some kind of structure to, for you to, to work with that's outside of the norm of just looking at it. So a lot of students will bring a picture and they'll say, I want to paint this. And I go, well, look at all these lines leading out of the, out of the canvas. Oftentimes, um, it would be like, let's say if it's a river, you know, how the river goes off to the side of the canvas. You know, you want to break that and lay a log in at an angle to bring the, the viewer back into the painting. Now, when you become really good and we start, you know, getting you to work with the lights and shadows, we actually create the eye magnets by how we manipulate the, the, the lights. So you might not have an actual line like a, a pencil or a fallen tree that's acting as an eye magnet. Um, you'll actually have a variation of light. So the light will come in to a painting and just the arc of where the light ends and the shadow begins that too can create an eye magnet. It's really, it's really crucial in a painting, when you're composing a painting, to be thinking about all these elements. I mean, that's one reason why people have coach, coaches in painting, because uh, a good coach will look at it objectively and go, wow, the, the viewer is being led completely out of the picture. Um, these are the kind of the things that have been lost in painting theory since the Impressionists. You can see the Impressionists using these old theories along with the Feminacci spiral and the golden mean. Um, but post-Impressionism, all this stuff had been just thrown to the wayside. Temperatures and composition rules and things like that. And now it's starting to become, uh, you know, a thing now. So, you know, when I talk about checkering or, or eye magnets, it's just something that artists have done for hundreds of years that has slowly for the last hundred years been forgotten. And it's one reason why a lot of people come to me for coaching. Um, but if you had, let's say, a newspaper laying down on a table, um, the bottom of the newspaper, you know, if it's folded, the bottom of the newspaper could be on the left-hand side and kind of point it diagonally to the right-hand side. And that line of the newspaper would, would lead the viewer out of the picture. And that's not what you want. I mean, it's, it's like you can almost predict when you look at people walking through a gallery is that they're walking from painting to painting. And if, you're, if all your lines lead to the next painting, um, then, then they're gone, you know? So what you need to do is you got that line of the newspaper laying on the table, goes from the bottom left upwards to uh, you know, the right-hand side. And then you would interrupt that with a spoon or a pair of glasses that come in and lay inwards to the painting. So now you have almost like a zigzag. And now that object lays in. And let's say it's your coffee mug. Now, setting up a composition, you normally want the light to come from opposite sides of your central focal point. So if your central focal point's on the left-hand side of the canvas, you want your light to come from the right. If you want your, your central focal point to be on the right-hand side 
of the composition you want your light to come from the left now it's always better to have your central focal point on the right hand side of your comp composition because um, that's the way we read from left to right and you want the viewer to get the biggest slope or the biggest introduction into your painting the biggest movement which in this particular instance is the edge of the newspapers that sweeps the viewer in and then it's blocked by a tablecloth or blocked by a set of glasses or blocked by a pencil or block something and point the viewer up point them up and like I said it's odd it's always like counterclockwise um, you point the viewer up and then you bring them down with something it could be uh, uh, I don't know uh, um, an edge of a grapefruit or something if you're doing a morning scene or something but it could be in shadows and the line comes down and then comes across again and then kind of tries to come back up counterclockwise to a place where your highlight is and these spirals are not like really complicated they might whip around the central focal point two or three times you don't want to like create something that's really tight like that because there's not enough space or things that you could put in something like that we're talking about maybe a counterclockwise um, movement that goes from left to right back to left down back to right again and then maybe to the center focal point so it's like two and a half turns maybe one and a half turns um, so that you keep that viewer right in the center focal point area and uh, and if you do it right they don't know that you do that they don't know and I oftentimes when I teach this in my classroom I'll take up a painting of uh, an old master let's say a, a Caravaggio um, and there you have the, I could point out the lines when we're actually looking at the painting and then you know there's also the eye magnets that go back and so like Caravaggio when he would set up a, a, let's say the descent of Jesus off the cross the cross actually is pointed back into the painting so the eye magnets don't always necessarily go around they actually go back and so if you can keep the viewer in the painting not only vertically spinning around but actually go into the back of the painting and come forward and back in the painting and come forward you get extra points this is more complicated to think about but I've had students where they would do an edge of a kitchen counter that's in the center of the kitchen and the background is on the opposite side there might be a window back there and so the still life is set up in front and the eye magnets actually not only go around where the still life is but they'll go around the kitchen and go to the back of the kitchen using the counters and the roof line of the kitchen to the back and to the light in the background and then eye magnets that bring you back forward and there'll be another set of eye magnets within the painting that goes from forward to back and spiral that way too so you get extra credit if you can do it vertically and horizontally back so it can get really complicated but most artists most people you listen to on on uh, YouTube watching videos most people that you take classes from don't even mention anything about eye magnets and movements and yet everything that I do in my paintings I have that concept and I get very very complicated with it a lot of people they're kind of hesitant when 
I tell them that I teach art over the phone and they go, well, how can you do that? And it's because it is very visual mentally. Um, when, when I'm talking to students, and it's amazing that my phone coaching students go, do twice as well as my students in the studio. Um, there's so many distractions. There's so many times when I explain something, they're, they're kind of out. Uh, looking at their painting they're kind of uh, very left brain but when you're in a phone conversation you're talking about your art you can be very right brain and that's one reason why um, my my coaching over the phone works so well because you're literally listening to uh, my advice and you're applying it mentally in your brain not physically onto your painting and I think that whole connection between brain uh, hemispheres and eye hand coordination is huge so it's all about it's all about being able to visualize something prior to actually painting it and I think when you're in a classroom you don't get that you literally have to listen to what I have to say and try to apply it so there you have it Everything you need to know, plus even too much more information about eye magnets. But when doing a composition, you can't have too much knowledge. If you wish to get more information about my podcast, please feel free to go to my website, www.stephanbauman.com. And there you'll find information about my podcast, my YouTube station, my PBS television programs, and my coaching. And while you're there, you can also register for a free book, Everything I Know About Painting. If you'd like to have more in-depth conversations about whether or not coaching is for you, please pick up the phone and just give me a call at 415-606-9074. And don't be surprised if I answer. That's my personal phone number. So anyway, till the next podcast, always remember to do good work and to remember paint with passion and have a grand day. Mm -hmm.